Merry Christmas, friends. If you don't know, we're still in the 12 days of Christmas, right? So I can still say that to you, Merry Christmas. But we're coming up soon to a new season in the church calendar. That's the season of Epiphany. It starts this Saturday, January 6th. That's the Feast of Epiphany. And then the season of Epiphany will go all the way through until the beginning of Lent, which is in mid-February this year. Now that word Epiphany means when something appears, right? Maybe you've heard of someone having an epiphany, a great idea just appeared to them, right? So the season of epiphany in the church is all about celebrating how God has appeared to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God. He is almighty God, the creator of everything. God incarnate, God in the flesh. And that means that as we get to know Jesus better, we're getting to know God himself better. So over this season of Epiphany, and beginning a little early today, we're starting, as Father David said earlier, a new sermon series. In this series, we'll be looking at seven passages from the Gospel of John in the New Testament of the Bible. These seven passages are called Jesus' I Am statements. Because seven times in this Gospel, Jesus says something like, I am the light of the world, or I am the bread of life, or I am the true vine, and so on. So we're going to look at all of these different images that Jesus uses to help us see and understand who he really is. Before we look at our first I am statement today, then, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, as we hear you teach about yourself today and over the next seven weeks, we pray that you would truly reveal yourself to us so that each of us might come to know you better, to love you more dearly, and to trust you more and more in every part of our life. Amen. So our passage for this morning is John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. And you have the text of that there in your bulletin if you want to look at it as we go through it together. I think Jesus wants to do two main things in this passage. He wants to tell us who he is, of course. That's the whole point of these I am statements. Jesus wants to tell us who he is, but he also wants to tell us who some other people are. He wants to warn us that there are some thieves and robbers out there that we need to be careful of. So there's our two things to talk about for today, who Jesus is and who these thieves and robbers are. And we're actually going to start there with the thieves and robbers, And then we'll work toward what Jesus says about himself. So starting off with the thieves and robbers, we meet them in verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now a sheepfold is a walled-in area, like a courtyard where a flock of sheep are kept safe when they're not out grazing in pasture. And maybe you know that all through the Bible, in Old and New Testament, God uses that image of a flock of sheep to represent his people, the people who belong to God by faith. That's what's happening in this passage too. God's people are the sheep gathered together in his sheepfold, but then comes this disturbing element, a thief and robber climbing in. You can tell that this person is a thief because of the way they're entering the sheepfold, right? Not by the door, 
the gateway that would be the normal way for the sheep and the shepherd to come in and out, but by another way, Jesus says, climbing over the wall or something sneaky like that. Now, if you were walking down the street in your neighborhood and you saw someone standing outside your neighbor's window with a crowbar trying to get it open, you would know what was going on, right? You wouldn't need to wait to see what happens next. You would right away call the police. You know that that person's a thief because you can see that they're trying to get in the wrong way, right? They're trying to get in the wrong way, and that shows that they're up to no good. Well, this is the same thing in the ancient world. If you see someone climbing over the wall of a sheepfold, you know, you can tell right away that they're there for trouble. If they had a legitimate reason to be there, they would come in through the door. But the fact that they're sneaking in by another way shows that their reasons for entering are nefarious. So why has this sheep come to the sheepfold? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. These are his only motives. He's not sneaking in to care for the sheep, to feed them or pet their fuzzy little heads or anything like that. He comes to steal. He wants to take the sheep away from the place they belong, to take God's people away from God. He comes to kill. He wants to kill these sheep, to take away the spiritual life of God's people. He comes to destroy. He wants to destroy the flock, destroy God's people. Who is Jesus talking about here? Who's this thief? Well, to know who he's talking about, it helps to know who he's talking to. If you were to look just a little bit back in the Gospel of John, just before this passage, in the end of John chapter 9, you would see that Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. Probably his disciples and the crowds are there too, listening, but it's the Pharisees that Jesus is addressing. Now, if you don't know what Pharisees are, they're a group of lay Jewish religious leaders who were around in Jesus' day. Very, very religious people. And you can't read very far in the Bible without bumping into them because Jesus and the Pharisees were constantly getting into disagreements. Everything that Jesus would do or say, the Pharisees would find fault with. But here's an interesting thing. Jesus and the Pharisees actually agreed about a lot of things. The Pharisees believed in God. They believed that it was important to worship God and obey him. They believed in the coming kingdom of God that God would make all things right again and even raise the faithful dead back to new life. That's all true. That's all true. So the Pharisees believed a lot of the right things. But there was just one big problem. They rejected Jesus. They believed in God. They believed in God's kingdom, but they refused to believe that it was through Jesus that God was bringing his kingdom to earth. Here's what the Pharisees were up to in chapter 9, in what comes right before this passage. Jesus is walking through Jerusalem, and he sees a poor man who was born blind, who's been blind his whole life. And Jesus heals him. The man is overjoyed. He has his sight back. And all his neighbors are amazed. They think, how did that happen? And the man says, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Well, the Pharisees are furious. At first, they refuse to believe that a miracle has even happened. 
But once they are confronted with all the evidence that, yes, this guy really was blind, and clearly he's not anymore, then they say, okay, maybe a miracle happened, but Jesus didn't have anything to do with it. But the man keeps insisting, Jesus did this for me. The Pharisees warn him, if you don't stop believing in Jesus, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue, the Jewish church meeting. But the man stays firm. He believes in Jesus. He knows that Jesus is God's anointed one because Jesus is the one who has saved him. So finally, the Pharisees do kick this guy out of the synagogue. Because he believes in Jesus, he won't be able to worship with them anymore. And it's right after all that happens that Jesus addresses the Pharisees and he tells them about thieves and robbers who are trying to steal, kill, and destroy God's people. Do you get the point here? The Pharisees would like very much to think that they are part of God's flock. In fact, they might even like to think of themselves as shepherds over God's flock. But Jesus is exposing to them and to everyone listening that in fact, the Pharisees are acting as thieves and robbers toward God's flock. Because it's the Pharisees who've been trying to steal, kill, and destroy this man's faith in Jesus. They've been trying to steal, kill, and destroy his testimony to Jesus' saving power. They've been putting all the pressure they can on him to get him to stop trusting in Jesus, stop proclaiming Jesus to everyone. But praise God, it doesn't work. The sheep will not listen to the voice of a stranger. God's people will not allow their faith to be stolen away by Pharisees. Because really, it's only by faith in Jesus that we can belong to God's flock in the first place. God's flock is a flock of believers in Jesus. That's who God's people are. And so anyone who opposes Jesus is an enemy of that flock. The Pharisees appear to believe in a lot of the right things, but because they oppose Jesus, all the rest of it counts for nothing. Ultimately, it's their relationship to him that matters more than anything else. And that's because of who Jesus is. Let's look there now. Let's look at who Jesus says he is in this passage. He says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. Jesus teaches everyone who's listening, including the Pharisees, that there is only one way to enter God's flock. And that's through him. Now notice that there's two parts to that image in verse 9. First, there's becoming a Christian. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, Jesus says. If you have faith in Jesus, if you trust in him to take care of you in this life and the next then you have entered into God's flock, just like that. You've become one of God's people. And eternal salvation is yours through him. Because of what Jesus has done for you, coming in the flesh, 
dying on the cross to atone for your sins, rising again from the dead to open the way of new life. Because of what Jesus has done for you, all you who have faith in him are right with God forever. You're forgiven. You're justified. You are adopted as his sons and daughters, his heirs. Not because of anything you've done, right? Not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done for you, on your behalf and in your place. That's what it means to enter by him, to enter through the door that is Jesus. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, Jesus promises. That's what it means to become a Christian. But then there's also daily living as a Christian. In the second half of that same verse. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And then Jesus goes on. And he will go in and go out and find pasture. It turns out this door isn't just a door that we go through once. It's a door that we go through Every day, many times a day. Entering in by Jesus the first time, you become part of his people forever. But now that you're part of the flock, you have to do flock stuff, sheep things, right? And the flock doesn't just stay in the sheepfold all the time. The flock goes in and goes out. The daily activity of the flock is to find pasture. To go out into the world and graze for food. That's the daily work of a sheep. What's your daily work? Maybe it's to stay at home and take care of your kids. Maybe it's to go out and work a job. Maybe it's to go out and look for a job. You young people, students, your work is to learn. Wonderful work to have. Older people, I know many of you are engaged every day in the work of caring for the people around you in important ways. Checking in on friends, praying for people, showing love in all sorts of practical ways. Whatever it is that God has given us to do, we have a pattern in our day of going out to do it and then coming back in to rest, right? Just like those sheep who go out to find pasture and then come back into the sheepfold. We have a daily pattern, and we have a weekly pattern too, don't we? We spend most of our week out there in the world, but then on Sunday, and at other times during the week too sometimes, we gather together as a flock to be renewed by resting together in God's presence and feeding on God's word. So there's a daily pattern of going in and out, and a weekly pattern of going in and out. And here's the important bit. All our comings and goings, in and out, all of them pass through the door. Week by week, day by day, hour by hour, all the comings and goings of the Christian have to happen through Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Maybe there's some tension between you and your boss at work. Or maybe between you and another student at school. Well, you could go into that place in your own way. And you could try and deal with that problem or avoid it. uh, Whatever your sinful heart suggests to you to do. You could try and deal with it on your own. But as a Christian, you can do something else. As a Christian, you can go into that place 
through Jesus. He can be your doorway into that room and into that conversation. You can approach the problem and the other person from the angle that Jesus directs you in. I think that's what it means to go in and out through Jesus. That everywhere we go, all day long, we go into those places and into those situations through Jesus. Under his direction and guidance. With his help to know which way to go. So Jesus is the door in these two senses. He's the door by which we first enter into Christian life. The door by which we become Christians and come to salvation. Amen. And he's the door by which we go in and out all the time. By which we live as Christians day by day. And in both of these ways, Jesus is the center of the Christian life. It all starts with him, and it all depends on him day after day forever. It's his infinite love for us. His sacrifice of himself on the cross. His resurrected life that make the Christian life possible and worthwhile and joyful and wonderful. Jesus is the only door by which anyone can enter into the Christian life. And he is the only door by which we can live it. Everything for the Christian depends on Jesus. He is the absolutely indispensable and unreplaceable center of everything that matters. Remember, the Pharisees believed a lot of the right things. But in rejecting Jesus, they rejected the center of everything. And so their religion, even though it looked pretty good from the outside, their religion was in fact hollow. Imagine if someone served you a beautiful cake. Looks great. And you cut into it and then realized the whole thing was just a thin layer of icing with no cake inside, right? How horrible that would be. Or if you went to peel an orange and you realized it was just the peel, no fruit inside, right? That's what life is like without Jesus at the center. It's it's a hollow and superficial charade. In our own day and age, too, we have other thieves and robbers to contend with. People who act like they're part of the flock, they act like they're part of God's people, But they didn't come in by the door. They want to tell you that there's something else. Something besides Jesus that's just as good as him, that can be a substitute for him. Maybe it's trying to be a good person. Isn't that what really matters? Maybe it's having the right opinion about some hot-button issue. Isn't that what really separates the, the righteous from the wicked? Maybe it's just coming to church. Isn't that enough to just be part of God's people? Well, no, no, and no. Doing good, having responsible opinions, coming to church, these are all very good things, but none of them is the center. None of them is the door. That's Jesus. And Jesus alone. All these other things are part of what we work out in our lives, right? As we walk day by day in faith... As we go about day by day with Jesus, 
then we do grow in goodness. We learn how to think rightly about all the issues that confront us. We come to love, worshiping him with his people, and so on. But all of that happens through Jesus. It happens because of him. Jesus is the doorway in to all of those realities. And friends, there is no other door. I want you to be alert, friends, because the thieves and robbers are sometimes very sneaky. They'll try to replace Jesus with something else, something that sounds good, like love, maybe. Jesus is loving, right? Yes, that's absolutely true. So then love is what really matters, not Jesus, they'll say. Friends, do you see that move that they're making? They want to take Jesus from the center and just put him a little bit over to the side. Right? They see the door and they say, oh, okay, but I think, what if we went in by another way? Right? Well, that person is a thief. If you see someone doing that, the alarm bells should be going off inside you just the same way as if you saw someone with a crowbar trying to get in your neighbor's window. That person is trying to get in the wrong way. Jesus cannot be substituted out in favor of some nice-sounding abstract principle like love or justice or freedom or whatever. Because we don't know what love or justice or freedom really are until we know Jesus. It's only through him and in him that these things have their true meaning, their true center. It's not that those things aren't important. They're hugely important. But only Jesus is the door. Only Jesus is the one who can put those things in their right place, give them their true shape and meaning. It's not some abstract principle. It's not some idea about God or anything else. It's the living, breathing person of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He himself is the door. And so it's our relationship to him that matters above all else. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus says. That may not always be what these people think they're doing. They have good intentions, maybe. But destruction and death are the only outcome, the only possible outcome of putting something else in Jesus' place. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But, Jesus goes on in verse 10, I came that they may have life and have life abundantly. Friends, that is what we have in Jesus. Life and life abundant. That means life to the fullest. Life overflowing with all the good things that can be in life. Life the way it was meant to be lived. That's what life is like when we access it through Jesus. I came that they may have life, he says. That's why Jesus came at Christmas. That's why he was born a human being to live among us, to die for us. That's why Jesus is revealing us 
revealing himself to us again this epiphany season. That we may have faith in him and having faith in him that we may find life, abundant life. So let me close this sermon by praying. God, I pray that for any of us who have yet to enter by that door, lead us by your Spirit to come to you, that we could come into your flock, come to your eternal salvation through Jesus Christ even now. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. We acknowledge you to be the one and only doorway to salvation and to abundant life. We praise you that you came into this world to save us. So give us grace, we pray, never to be misled by any thieves or robbers, but to keep you at the center of our life and faith, to walk by you and through you everywhere we go all the days of our life. Amen.